Hey there, Mind Body Masters. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 25 of the podcast. Now, have I got a special treat in store for you today. In today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing Mark Woolen, who is the author of an incredible book titled It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. So Mark Woolen is an expert in inherited family trauma and how trauma can be passed down from one generation to the next. So in today's episode, we go deep into all of the latest science around epigenetics. We talk about what happens to your brain during the stress response, how trauma shapes your brain, and most interestingly, how trauma can be passed from one generation to the next. So if you're someone who is experiencing some kind of weird, unexplained symptoms that no one can seem to understand, or perhaps you're starting to feel really stressed, you're starting to feel really fearful, a depression or an anxiety hit you for no apparent reason, you are not going to want to miss this episode. So be sure to stay tuned. Hi, I'm Jake Curry. As a former chiropractor, I realized that people's physical symptoms started in their mind and not in their body, which is why I now teach people how to heal themselves from the inside out. Now, you don't need to be a monk or a mystic to heal yourself. You just need to learn how to master your mind-body connection. And this podcast is going to show you how. You're going to learn how to understand the hidden meaning of your symptoms, resolve the old emotional baggage that's kept you stuck, and gain practical tools to reduce the stress in your life. This is going to give you the ability to heal not only physically, but also spiritually. And this comes with a dangerous level of freedom. So let's help you become a mind-body master. I am absolutely pumped to be sharing this interview with you today, and I know it is going to be so insightful for you, and I know you're going to absolutely love it. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, and you've been really resonating with the message that I've been sharing, today's interview with Mark Woolen is going to take your understanding of how your brain works, how your mind and your body works to a whole nother level. So who is Mark Woolen? Well, Mark Woolen is the director of the Family Consolation Institute in San Francisco, and he's the leading expert in the field of inherited family trauma. His book, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle, uh, is one of my all-time favorite books. In fact, it's one of the books that's helped me a lot in my own healing journey, so much so that I now recommend it to all of our clients and students inside the Mind Body Masters program. And our students love it. They've made some great connections with it. And Mark's work has helped people all around the world. Uh, his book's been translated, I think, into like, something like 22 different languages and has been really, really helpful for so many people helping them to heal. So in today's episode... Mark graciously takes his time with me and we are able to break down some really complex uh, topics and make them simple. We talk all about epigenetics and especially how uh, the stress response in the brain works and particularly how that stress response can be handed down from one generation to the next. So one of the key takeaways in this episode is you don't necessarily have had to been through a trauma yourself to inherit a stressed out anxious, fearful, uh, worried, frustrated, whatever brain that you might be dealing with. So if you're dealing with some kind of symptoms or fears or phobias or anxieties or pressures that do not make sense, this podcast episode is going to be really enlightening for you. So we talk about all kinds of stuff, but most importantly, we talk about how you can start to end the cycle and how you can start to overcome this inherited family trauma so that you can heal from the inside out. So without any further ado, I'm going to cut to that interview with Mark right now. Mark, thank you so much for joining on the show. I'm absolutely pumped to be doing this episode with you. 
Thank you, Jake. I'm happy to be talking with you. Yeah, awesome. So Mark's work has been really influential in my own life and also the life of our students inside the Mind Body Masters uh, program. Now, Mark talks all about inherited family trauma. So Mark, do you want to tell me a little bit more about what exactly inherited yeah. family trauma is? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners might not have ever heard that term. So do you want to just share a bit about what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's say one of our parents or grandparents lost their mother or their father when they were young or, or our mother or our father was sent away or placed in an orphanage when they were little or maybe one of their siblings, um, you know, something tragic happened. They died young or th our brother got into the poison. And, you know, an event like this can break the heart of the family. The reaction to the trauma doesn't necessarily stop with the people who experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, the feelings and the sensations, specifically the stress response, the, the way the genes express, this can pass forward to the children and the grandchildren, affecting them in a similar way, even though they weren't personally there, they didn't personally experience the trauma. And now, thank goodness, there's lots of research and evidence that shows that this is in fact what happens. Yeah, wow. So basically what you're saying is that we don't necessarily need to have gone through a really massive trauma ourselves. Oftentimes we can, that stress response that we might feel can be inherited or or, or passed down from our family. Is that right? Oh, exactly. It's exactly, okay. what, it's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> cool. Just wanted to make sure we're on the same page there. Okay. That's fantastic. So, and, and really fascinating because one of the things that I, I, see with a lot of our people is they've got um, a lot of unexplained stress. There's kind of like this undercurrent of stress in their lives, an undercurrent of worry or fear or, or just some uh, really unusual concerns and really unusual worries. So we're going to talk specifically in a moment about how this inherited family trauma can affect our symptoms and create uh, weird pains and things like that in our body. But do you want to just speak to, Mark, about how um, this inherited family trauma can affect uh, our stress and our, our mind and uh, create things like depression or anxiety or all these kinds of things? That would be really useful. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer in the idea that what we push away, what we ignore, um, it never really goes away. Hmm. It, it submerges in our psyche and soma and reemerges later on. Um, often when there's a triggering event as unexplained symptoms or chronic pain or irritable, or irritable bowel syndrome or uh, chronic fatigue um, or neuropathy, you know, some, some condition, some unexplained symptom uh, or some behavior that we mm -hmm. can't explain or some fear that strikes suddenly. Um, in a sense, what gets pushed or submerged reemerges, gets rerouted in a sense. And even if that the event, the originating event happened two generations ago, um, we inherit the biological residue of, of the traumas our parents or grandparents went through, went through. And now here we are a generation later inheriting um, their stress response, specifically the way uh, their gene, their, their, there's an epigenetic adaptation, the way their genes express to survive that situation. And after a while, 
um, this can turn into an overactive um, amygdala or overactive stress response. Mm -hmm. And after a while, from all of our chronic tightening in our body, um, we, gosh, how can I say, after years of a chronic holding pattern, um, defending to protect from some feeling or tightening to feel safe. After a while, all this unconscious tightening can begin to limit blood flow, can be lim- begin to limit oxygen circulation in the very areas that we're trying to protect or in the places in our body uh, where live the feelings we're trying to avoid. And then after a while, we can become hypoxic, mm. um, uh, you know, not enough oxygen and begin to suffer with chronic pain or develop a disease process. And these parts of our body in which we're not conscious, in which we're not living in, because every time we meet our trigger, we tighten uh, in our abdomen. And after a while from this chronic holding, uh, the abdomen might be where our disease process begins. Right. And so it's so interesting. And I find this so fascinating because essentially we don't necessarily have had to have been through that trauma to, for our body to get into that survival mode, for our body to have that stress response and having that passed down from generations is, is huge. So with that, in terms of it getting passed down in, in generations and, or through generations, how does that actually occur? I, I heard you sort of say things that get pushed down, things that, that um, I guess aren't spoken about in families. Do you think that's a big contributing factor to things that get passed down? It seems to be. Yeah. Uh, there's not enough awareness or consciousness around our own trauma experience. And that, you know, it makes complete sense because of what happens to the, the brain during a trauma, which I'm sure I'll get into mm-hmm. later. But, but you know, I, I, to use a kin- computer analogy, you know, we really don't enter the world with a clean hard drive. You know, there's an operating system uh, already in place, which contains the fallout from these traumas that our parents and grandparents have experienced. And then here we are born with fears and feelings and behaviors and symptoms that don't originate with us. They don't belong to us. You know, why is this? The science tells us simply that when a trauma happens, um, it changes us. Literally, it causes a chemical change in our DNA. And this can change how our genes function, sometimes for generations. So getting a little bit into the science, technically, a trauma happens. Um, There's this molecular event, this molecular change, a chemical tag attaches to the DNA and tells the cells um, to use or ignore these genes, enabling us to better deal with what just happened. And then the way our genes are affected changes how we act or feel. Uh, For example, we can become sensitive or reactive to situations that are similar to the original trauma, even if that trauma occurred in a past generation, so that we have a better chance of surviving it in this generation. I'll I'll connect the dots here uh, for our listeners. Um, If our grandparents um, came from a a war-torn country, there's 
people being shot, there's bombs going off, there's uniformed men lining people up in the square, there's people being taken away. We're terrified for our lives. Um, we're trying to become very hypervigilant and very small that we don't get seen or noticed. Our grandparents would epigenetically develop and then pass forward a skill set, skill set. And this skill set might have in it sharper reflexes, quicker reaction times, reactions to the violence that they experienced to help us survive this trauma that they experienced. Now, the problem is two generations later, we're inheriting a stress response with the dials set to 10. Mm. And here we are hypervigilant and watchful and cautious um, you know, with the dials set to 10, prepared for this catastrophe that never arrives because, you know, we're born in a more calm situation. And the problem is, is we don't make this link that our anxiety, our hypervigilance, our depression, our chronic symptoms are connected to our parents and our grandparents. We just think we're wired this way. And that, that's what I hear all the time. Somebody would just say, hey, this is just the way I am. I go into a crowded room and I freeze up, or I see police car, and I, 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 I freeze. And they never think to connect it to something that came before. Yeah, well, wow, that's so amazing. And this is going to be so valuable for our listeners, because I'm sure that if they had been through that trauma themselves, that they could understand why they're getting triggered in the moment. They could understand if they, if they personally had been through war, for example, that the, the sound of loud noises or a, of a car backfiring might might trigger them. But when they're triggered, even though they haven't been through that stress, it can be, it, I hear this all the time with a lot of our uh, our students and clients is that, hey, I, I, I just don't know why I'm so stressed by this. I don't know why I'm fearful of that. I don't know why every time I get into a, a, a large crowded room that I just close up. So that's going to be really helpful for a lot of people. So tell me, let's go back a step, Mark. We'll get into a bit more of the research in a minute because I love this stuff. I love talking about, I really want to talk about how uh, the brain goes into survival mode. But before we do, I just want to hear a little bit about your story. Um, you've got such an amazing story and you share more about this in the book. And it's interesting because one of the things that I, I always say is that our physical symptoms are actually one of our greatest blessings. They're, they're here to guide us. They're here to show us um, what, what it is that we need to heal uh, in, our, in our psyche, in our soul, in our spirit, in, in whatever capacity you want to look at. Would you like to talk a little bit about your story? Sure. <laughs> um, okay. 30 years ago, like many of us, I, I was struggling with symptoms that I couldn't explain. Um, I began to lose the vision in one of my eyes. And all I could see was this gray dot. And hmm. I went to the doctors and they said, oh, you have a chronic form of retinopathy. And there's some bad news. There's no cure. And the way it's progressing, we think it's likely going to spread to the other eye. And I'm pretty freaked out, as you can imagine. And I'm desperate to find help. And I say, well, what can I do? And they go, well, we don't know. We just think it's stress. <laughs> so, mm. you know, we all hear that, right? It's stress. So I start to, with my good eye, read as much as I can read. And I hear about trainings or I hear about a wise teacher and I'm traveling all around the world. Um, I go on this search for healing. Literally, 
to the other side of the world. I end up as far as Indonesia, you know, which is not very far for you, but for me, <laughs> that's completely on the other side of the world. And, um, and I learned from several uh, very wise teachers who taught me some fundamental principles, one of which was the importance of healing my relationship with my parents, which was pretty broken. But before I could heal that relationship with them, I had to heal what stood in the way. Um, though I don't know it at the time, it's inherited family trauma, which is where I came up with those three words, inherited mm -hmm. family trauma 30 years ago. Um, specifically, the anxiety that I had inherited from all of my grandparents who were all orphaned in some mm -hmm. way. Um, three of them lose their moms when they're babies. One, one was a toddler, two were babies. And the other loses her dad when she was a year old. So ultimately she loses her mom too in the grief, which creates breaks in the attachment. And the anxiety, though I don't know it at the time, this is the real cause of my vision loss. So I love how we're talking about symptoms because I think my story fits right in here. Um, I have this chronic anxiety and hypervigilance and I'm terrified of abandonment and I have no idea why I'm all, you know, I literally back then, Jake, I'm carrying Valium in my pocket, terrified mm. of the next anxiety attack. I don't wow. put that in the book, but I'm 19 walking around with, with a pill in case I experience one of those terrible things again, which I have no idea what it is. So just like my parents who are more, um, I always see this too, a generation later, we're, we're more free to feel what our parents can't feel. Right. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm sure we'll get into this, but, you know, my parents are functioning, um, being the children of orphans. The orphans themselves are really rigid to function, to even just survive the loss of their mothers. My parents are would have been more um, frustrated and screaming as a result of that. Um, and now here I am, the generation later, feeling everything that's not felt. So like my parents, I've inherited this feeling of being broken from a mother's love, simply put. And, and what my mom couldn't get, get, she can't give. What my dad couldn't get, he can't give. And so this is what's passed down in my family. And one of the ways it manifests is I'm about five years old. And every time my mom leaves the house, I'm having a panic attack and I'm running into her room and I'm pulling open her drawers of scarves and nightgowns and burying my face in her clothing, um, crying into her scarves, thinking I'm never going to see her again. Wow. And, that her, and that her smell would be the only thing I had left which would have been true for my grandparents who lose their mothers. They'd have a garment of clothing with her smell. 40 years later, I share this, you know, after I write the book or as I'm writing the book, I share this with my mom. Um, and she tells me the exact same thing. She tells me, um, oh yeah, when my mom left the house, I'd cry into her clothes. And then my sister reading the book says, honey, I cried into mom's clothes too. So I'm learning oh, wow. that the family pattern is we all panicked when our mothers would go around the corner. Um, and, and so I, I had to heal a break in the attachment with my mom. I, I had no idea this is what I was doing. Um, but in doing so, my sight came back. Now, no. I, I never expected my sight to came back. I was geared up for being you know, blind and this is what was going to happen. 
But when it came back unexpectedly, Jake, I just felt compelled to share some of these principles I learned. Ultimately, I end up developing a method for healing the effects of inherited family trauma. Wow. And that's, that's huge. And we're going to get to more about how people can start to heal. I'm sure you're going to give us some great tips on how people can start to make that uh, transition to start healing some of these inherited family traumas. But what you said in there is something really spoke to me. And that was how a lot of times when we're diagnosed with some kind of symptoms, oftentimes, uh, and particularly in modern medicine, we'll be told, oh, it's just stress. It's just stress. And that's it. There's, there's nothing that, that goes on after that. And I'm really, it's amazing that you're, you're familiar with the work of Dr. Harmer and, and how, um, how physical symptoms manifest as the result of, of stress and trauma. But one of the things that I think is really missing in, in that the traditional medical sense is the uh, ability to actually help people deal with stress, to actually manage their stress and to overcome that stress, particularly, Mark, when it doesn't make sense, when it stems from the fact that your, your grandparents were orphaned or were separated from their mothers or there was a death in the family. That's what I think when it makes so, so much sense to be able to. You know, Jake, I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you because I just right. wanna, I want to, no, 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 no. I love what you're saying, but, it, but I feel the gear is turning. I just want the listener to understand, you know, the memories of trauma are imprinted mm-hmm. in, in the sperm of our father, our father's sperm cells and our mother's egg cells. And we don't know from which or collectively or uh, whether we carry this information or not. But what appears to happen is this information somehow passes forward to us. And then as a result, we're born already with an altered brain to, to prepare us biologically. So we have these altered brains because of this event that was imprinted in the sperm or egg. And here we are prepared biologically to cope with traumas that are similar mm. to the ones our parents experience. And we're not told this, we're not set up for this. We have no clue what's happening. And, and you're right, I'm a fan also of New German Medicine of Dr. Hammer's work um, because he uh, and you and I, we all love the symptom as the guide we all say yeah you know we're we okay you know tell me more about um how your symptoms started what was happening right before what was the triggering event what's it like in their worst moments you know all those questions i put in my book in chapter um i forget what chapter it is but the core complaint chapter i have those list of questions um to really begin to start to love our symptoms as friends, as guides, mm. as direction posts, not to run from them, which just, as we know, creates the flow of more trauma, more trauma, uh, I should say, the flow of more trauma patterns, more um, uh, hypervigilance, but really to begin to uh, peel back the curtain, um, peel back the layers, so we can learn more about this thing um, that's really wants us to heal, that wants to expand us rather than contract us. You know, one thing I like to say is within the contraction of the trauma is the seed of expansion. And rather than run from this contraction, learn about this contraction, because this contraction keeps contracting in the hopes that one day we'll 
move in this direction toward expansion. Wow, that's amazing. And it's so in line with everything that, that we talk about here on the podcast. But hang on, you're telling me that your symptoms are a good thing? As you know, <laughs> as you agree with me, yes, I'm telling you that. I'm saying that we're lucky in a way that our symptoms are now emerging. Yeah. Remember, they're rerouted, they've now resurfaced, they're now re-emerging. And we're lucky now to be able to have a map to help us out of the pain. And, you know, I teach in that book, the core language map, there's different maps. You know, there's also this symptom picture, the symptom map, um, this trauma language map, any way you want to cut it. Um, there's this way that when we follow the breadcrumb trails, they're ultimately leading us out. And that was their intention all mm -hmm. along. Freud said this a hundred years ago when he talked about repetition compulsion. Freud mm -hmm. was saying that, the, um, that we repeat the traumas in the hopes of a better outcome. Freud said this a hundred years ago. And, and Carl Jung said, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will direct our life and we'll call it fate. Absolutely. I think this is just so beautiful. And this is something that I talk about all the time is people get into what we call the symptom spiral is when they, they get a particular symptom, they compound the stress by trying to fix it and freaking out and worrying and, and, and doing all the things to try and um, heal. But one of the ways that they can break that cycle is to actually recognize that these symptoms are guiding them. They're one of these maps, as you call it, to start looking at what needs to be healed inside. Start looking at some of this inherited family trauma, particularly when your stresses, when your anxieties, when your fears and your worries don't make sense. When they, when even though you're living in a calm, safe environment, but you're freaking out every time about a particular thing, that's a really, really good clue on on what it is that needs to heal. You said it better than I would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, Mark. Um, now I know you talked a little bit about the uh, how there's these tags passed onto the the sperm cells. Do you want to share a little bit more about some of the research, particularly with mice, oh, yeah. on how? Um, on how these epigenetic changes can occur. I, I love do. this. Actually, we need to look at mice we because do. It, take, it takes 12 to 20 years to get a generation of humans. And the science has only emerged in the last 15 years. So we can look at two generations in humans, but the studies are still out for three generations, even though because we study mice, we can, we can extrapolate three, four generations. So. Uh, let me begin with why mice. Um, mice and humans share a similar genetic makeup. Uh, over 90% of the genes in humans have counterparts in mice, with over 80% being identical. And plus, every 12 to 20 weeks, you can see what's going on. Um, there's, this, there's several studies. I think I'll talk about a few or one, whatever our, reader, our readers, our listeners need. Um, one study at Emory Medical School in Atlanta, and this is one of my favorite studies, I think yours too, um, male mice are made to fear a cherry blossom-like scent. Every time they smell the scent, the researchers shock the mice. So, and right away in that first generation, there are epigenetic changes, brain changes, blood changes, sperm changes. So in the brain alone, there's enlarged areas that just got created where a greater amount of smell receptors exist. 
so the mice, the mouse can protect itself by smelling it sooner. It's such a cool thing. So they can detect the scent at lesser concentrations. So right away, we see the brains had epigenetically adapted to protect the mice. And it, that's, there's also um, molecular chemical cell changes in the sperm. So they thought, okay, what do we do? Let's take some of the sperm and inject female mice that were not, not shocked. And let's see what happens. This is the cool thing. In the second and third generation, the pups and the grandpups, just by smelling the smell, became jump, jumpy and jittery. They had inherited the stress response without directly experiencing the trauma. Um, there's a, there's a, which is so cool. It's amazing. Um, th there's a passage in my book. Um, I think I'm going to uh, paraphrase it um, because it's one of the most replicated studies in all of epigenetics comes from this one trauma. They separate baby mice from their mothers and they watch the effects and they don't even do it for a long time. So I'm gonna paraphrase four lines from my book. Um, so there's this one study where researchers, they prevent females from nurturing their pups for up to three hours a day, that's it, for only the first two weeks of their life. That's it, Jake. Three, wow. hour, three hours a day, it's not up much. to three hours a day. Right, not so much for the first two weeks of life. Later on, these mice um, began to exhibit symptoms, behaviors similar to what we humans call depression. You know, they're hiding out in a corner, they're not very social. Um, and then the symptoms seem to worsen as the mice aged, which we know happens to us when we hit our 30s, 40s, and 50s. And we could talk about why that happens later. Now, surprisingly, some of the males did not express this behavior themselves, but appeared to epigenetically transmit uh, these behavioral changes to their female offspring. That's like fathers going off to war, coming back numb from the trauma, and their daughters carrying their father's fight, flight, or freeze response, his shaking, his terror, his shutdown. And, and what we know from the studies, it's not just fathers and daughters. Unfortunately, trauma is an equal opportunity employer. Um, male children and female children are equally impacted by a mother or father's trauma. Uh, look, look, this is a new study or a new field and new studies are released every week and I throw them on my Facebook page. Um, but I wanna talk about two that are important and then we can go wherever you wanna go. Um, Journal of American Medicine Psychiatry, JAMA Psychiatry recently uh, released a study that followed mothers who suffered trauma as children and found that their daughters were more, their daughters were more likely to suffer with um, uh, depression and bipolar disorder. And then a recent Tufts University study found that men that suffered trauma as children were able to pass their anxiety to their kids through their sperm. Now, why this is significant is it was the first study to show that the human sperm, human sperm mirrored the same changes, the same non-coding RNA changes that they found in the mice in the labs with the cherry blossoms. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow. That's so what you're saying is that the, the mice that smelt the cherry blossoms, they were passing that adip- or that, that stress response down up to three generations. And what you're now saying is that some of the latest epigenetics studies are showing that that same change in the sperm occurs in humans. That's huge. Absolutely. And then the same guy, Brian Diaz, I'll give, I'll give our listeners a bit of good news. Um, the same guy, Brian Diaz, who shocked the mice and looked at that fearful epigenetic signature, which was passing down through the generations, he finds that if he took those same mice and stopped shocking them, that what would happen was that they were, okay, so they're taught not to fear this shock anymore, this smell anymore, because they're not shocked. So after a while, they're exposed to the smell, but they're not shocked. These mice no longer showed the heightened sensitivity to the scent. And then their sperm lost that fearful epigenetic signature, which passed down to future generations. And so therefore the pups, I'm assuming, weren't as depressed, they weren't as anxious, they weren't as fearful of the scent. Absolutely, because when the traumatized mice were exposed to positive experiences, and I'll get into this later, it it, um, changes the, the way the DNA expresses. Technically, it inhibits the enzymes that cause DNA methylation and histone modifications. And those are two other um, factors of epigenetic transgenerational inheritance, non-coding RNA, um, uh, DNA methylation, histone modifications. There's about six of them. I can name them all if you want me to. Um, but, But that's exactly right. So it changed the way the DNA expressed. Wow, that's amazing. And so let's go back a step. Like, let's look at actual how trauma affects the brain itself. So one of the things that you said there is that these mice that got shocked, they actually had growth in uh, some of the scent receptors in their brain. So essentially that in itself is an epigenetic change as well, because it's helping the mice to better prepare, to better smell uh, that danger coming. Do you want to share a little bit more about how... uh, that, how trauma in, in our own experience, how that shapes our brain. Okay, remember we're inheriting an altered brain like the mice who are inheriting these, this greater amount of smell receptors to protect them from the scent. In other words, the mice of later generations, just by smelling the smell, they've already got the adaptation, the, her- in, the heritable adaptation. Um, they're inheriting, in a sense, an altered brain. That's what's happening to us too. I like to say simply that we're inheriting our parents' and grandparents' stress response through the gene expression. I like to say that that we're inheriting, um, um, uh, this just slipped my mind. I went brain dead. See, I've already got <laughs> my brain left. Um, uh, we're inheriting, um, simply put, um, a overactive amygdala, a yeah, thumping which- Tell me what the amygdala is, just for our listeners. The amygdala, the amygdala is that part. It's the, it's the signaler in our brain that sends out alarm signals to the alarm towers of our body saying, that looks familiar. We don't like it. Tighten, numb, squeeze, contract, constrict. So in other words, a, a situation that resembles one of these traumas from our parents or grandparents or our childhood, or our infancy, or our in utero experience, 
In other words, let's say mom isn't present during our pregnancy, and then we get rejected by our partner. We are experiencing loss, abandonment, terror, which is coming from back here in utero when mom was worried we would die too because the baby died before us. Mm. So in other words, our amygdala is signaling, um, she left us, we're going to die, which is accurate for a baby whose mother leaves us physically or emotionally. We believe we're going to die. But here we are 20, 30 years later, feeling like we're going to die if our partner leaves us yeah. because it's tapped in to the same brain response. Um, again, the amygdala is saying, we're alone, tighten, freeze, uh, curl in, guard your heart. The, in other words, the alarm signals are sent out to the alarm towers of our body, uh, telling our body um, how to have a defensive strategy to survive something that either happened in childhood or in two generations earlier. Amazing. So our, our brain is helping us constantly. And this is the thing that I'm always saying is our brain is always helping us to survive. And so but the problem, sorry, sorry, Jake, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Um, it's fine. Because we've inherited this yeah. evolutionary brain. And, yeah. You know, the evolutionary biologists are saying, and nothing wrong with your brain, kind of. It's just doing its job, which is to help you survive the saber-toothed tiger that's chasing you. Um, even though there's no more saber-toothed tigers chasing us, um, our brain has adapted. Two-thirds of our amygdala is scanning for threats. So all of a sudden, you and I are walking down the street and talking about a soccer game. You guys call it football, I guess. What do we you call it soccer. Ah, oh, great. Okay. Um, we, so we're walking down talking about a soccer game, and one of us hears a siren, and all of a sudden we lose the, the trail of the conversation um, because our evolutionary brain hears that siren, thinks of a trauma that occurred somewhere in our family system, and all of a sudden we're offline. Yeah, We've gone offline and it's doing its job. So, you know, exactly. I love this. There's one of my favorite lines from uh, Rick Hansen, the, ne the neuropsychologist. Um, he said, says, positive memories are like Teflon, we don't remember them. And negative memories are like Velcro, they stick to us. And I love this because that's exactly what's happening. We remember what's negative to protect us to survive. And, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh has another way to say it. Uh, what are you going to water, the weeds or the flowers? Both will grow where you put your focused attention. And I think this is so important is that uh, our brains, and I don't, I just want, I don't want to just skip over this because this is so important, is that negativity bias and that negativity bias of our brains remembering the, the painful, stressful situations that we've been through and that our, uh, our, our grandparents have been through is an evolutionary advantage to keep us safe. And so these memories are so much more important to us than the positive memories that we have because these pos positive memories, they're not a threat to our survival. And one of the things that I forget about or people forget about as humans is that we are animals and our, our, our brains are wired for survival. Our brains aren't designed to make us happy. Our brains are designed to keep us alive. So that is, that is just, I, I, my mind is blowing here and I'm sure our listeners' minds are blowing here as well. Now, 
And this is the thing I just want to touch back on this is so if you're someone who's walking around and you've got a really hyperactive nervous system, if you constantly are getting triggered at the sound of a siren or you're, you're anxious for no reason or you're stressed for no reason, what Mark's sharing with you is giving you some guideposts as to why that might be and how you can start to heal that. So how do we start to heal that, Mark? How do we start to, like, if, you, if you've inherited this overactive amygdala, if you've inherited this overactive stress response, even though you've never been through war, even though you've never been through some of these uh, traumas, but your brain is still on, so to speak, how do we start to calm our brain down and, and, and start to feel safe again? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, mice aren't the only ones that benefit from positive experiences. It is how we heal. So, look, we, we've got to calm the brain's stress response, mm-hmm. whether, whether we've inherited that stress response from our parents or grandparents, or whether we had an early trauma as an infant or, you know, we're in an incubator, our, par- our mom loses a baby before us, our parents are splitting up, um, our parents break up when we're one or two or three or four or in utero, uh, mom's carrying us and her best girlfriend dies. Um, dad's drinking and she's feeling trapped, Wh- whatever. Whether it comes from generational events or our early events, we've got to calm our brain's stress response. Yep. And to heal, we've got to have positive experiences that can help us change our brain. And then the main thing is we need to practice these the, the new feelings and the new sensations associated with this positive experience. And when we do this, we not only create new neural pathways, we know that, um, but we also begin to stimulate the release of feel-good neurotransmitters like dopamine or serotonin or GABA. Or or we also stimulate the release of feel-good hormones in our body, estrogen, oxytocin, um, even the genes that are involved in our body's stress response they can begin to function in in an improved way. And, uh, you know, we can change the way our DNA expresses. There's many studies on mindfulness that I I believe I list one in the book that after eight hours of Mm. mindfulness, the pro-inflammatory gene response changed in the after only eight hours. So the idea is to have these positive experiences. Now, these positive experiences, they can be, I want to tell the the listener what they are. Um, They can be experiences of receiving comfort or support where there was none or um, or, or having a a gratitude practice uh, or a generosity practice, doing something kind for someone every day, uh, a loving kindness practice, experiencing, practicing, dipping into our own ability to feel compassion, compassion for ourselves, compassion for what our parents may have gone through, um, practicing mindfulness, ultimately anything that allows us to feel strength or peace or joy inside. Because these types of experiences feed the prefrontal cortex and allow us to reframe that stress response so it is a chance to downregulate. The idea is to pull traction away from the limbic system, away from the amygdala, um, and bring our overactive amygdala that they've shown can become twice its normal size in traumatized survivors. Wow. Um, 
and then to bring engagement to the forebrain with curiosity, with wonder, with awe, with joy, with laughter, you know, with, with some opening experience so we can integrate these new experiences and our brains can change. So it's kind of like the amygdala is the, the, when the limbic system is part of that, that, that survival fear response and the prefrontal cortex is essentially those where we can start to experience some of those more calming states. And I guess what you're saying is that in like traumatized brains, whether it be from your own experiences or, or previous generations, is that amygdala is more active and more strong than the frontal cortex. And what you're saying is that by, if, if we call these plants, Mark, if, if the amygdala is the weeds in the garden and the prefrontal cortex and those positive, joyful experiences are the flowers, the more you're able to water those flowers and have more positive experiences, the more that that amygdala starts to calm down and that stress response starts to shut off. And then we can start to have in, move into that sphere of having a, a calm, peaceful brain. Is that, is that kind of right? You, you very well put, you put okay. it extremely awesome. well. We can start to have more well-being. Perfect. And that well-being in our body can stay longer. And when mm -hmm. we lose our cookies, you know, when we, we have a traumatic experience, we don't have to stay in the depths as long. In other words, we can recover more quickly, repair more quickly, repair with our partner more quickly, repair from the event more quickly. And after a while, we start to have this, this unexpected well-being hmm. in our body that stays longer, feels richer, and um, that comes from exactly what you said, watering the garden of flowers, not the garden of weeds. So we're not doomed to our unconscious stress response. We're not doomed to live a life of constantly being anxious and stressed and concerned for no real reason. No, no. And, and you know, to put it in a nutshell, you know, I always teach people to be with the sensations, to practice being with the sensations in their body. First, the uncomfortable sensations, um, you know, the tightening and the shutdown and the numbness until they can reach what's beneath these sensations um, and experience what I call life-giving sensations. So they can begin to um, practice staying with pulsing, flowing, uh, uh, an infinity movement, if that's what shows up, tingling, softening, muscles letting go, expanding, I feel my chest widening, um, my blood flowing, warmth coming up, I can feel waves of energy tingling, those types of experiences. And then being able to hold those experiences uh, for 60 seconds, six times a day. That's what the neuroscientists teach us. That can be enough yeah. to change our brain. And so what you're speaking about there is, so think about when you get triggered yourself or when something happens or you, I don't know, you're, you hear that backfire of a car and you've got this inherited family trauma the tightening and constriction that you're talking about, what you're talking about there is this like tension that you feel in your body, right? That's, that's what you're referring to there. Yeah. 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 So I'm walking down the street, the backfiring of the car sends me into a trauma response. <clears throat> um, after exactly that, you know, after having been there a thousand hundred million times, um, I then can sit with that trauma response and rather than run from it or drink it away or exercise it away, or cell phone it away, or social media it away, I can be with it and then bring engagement to it. Maybe I bring my hand 
to the tight chest. I'm going to move the screen down. I bring my hand to the tight chest, and then I um, begin to send my exhale there, and I begin to go inside and explore the parameters of that tight feeling. And after a while, it dissolves, Jake, as we know from uh, the work we do, it dissolves. And all of a sudden, I'm in this experience of something called stillness or particles of energy, or what really is particles of awareness or consciousness. This is, this is amazing. And one of the things that I often tell people is the reason that they're still struggling with their symptoms is because they're having these physical responses. They're having these constrictions, these tightenings, and they're running away from them. They're, they're trying to distract themselves from feeling this uncomfortable feeling in the body. And one of the ways out, it's I, I use the example, Mark, of a Chinese finger trap is the more that we pull away from these uncomfortable feelings, the more we distract ourselves or numb ourselves out with alcohol or drugs or sex or social media, the more we pull away, the tighter these feelings become. But when you can actually start to lean into them and start to, as you said, connect with those, the tension and the tightness, that's when it starts to dissolve. Very and that's, well put again, my friend. And that's where so many people, uh, I think, it become, this practice becomes so game changing for them is learning how to reconnect with their body and learn how to create that or, or become aware of those sensations. Instead of them just running your life, you can actually go into them and start to heal them. So, And, and, even, and even welcome them. You yeah, know, exactly. Like R- Rumi's poem, The Guest House. Which I love I this poem. Oh, yeah, yeah. Welcome whatever comes, you know. I might post, I'll have to post a, a link to that in the show notes of, of, of Rumi's poem, The Guest House. That is one of my favorite quotes. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I will post it in the show notes below. Okay, Mark, we, we've got so much to talk about. And one of the things that I'd love to know is, have you got some example? Like we, we talk all about how when our bodies go through a particularly stressful event or when we inherit a particularly stressful event, our body will experience some kind of symptom, some kind of problem like your eye for example and these symptoms are not something to run away from there's something to guide us to deal with what's going on inside have you got a case study on it because i know you've got some fantastic case studies have you got a case study that 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 talks about this i've got so many um but i think because we're talking about physical symptoms i want to talk about a young boy um uh so he he's diagnosed with a rare neurological disorder. He's 17 years old. He's been diagnosed with this disorder since he's 10. Um, And the way it expresses in his body is he feels these burning sensations all over his skin, like his skin's technically on fire, red. And Mm -hmm. the, the doctors, they can't figure out why this is happening. They can't figure out any root cause. They can't find any root cause Um, so I'm talking to his mom and I, you know, she tells me, um, about his symptoms and I'm thinking as my students learn, um, first son, maybe first look to the father's experience. So I ask her, um, tell me about his dad. What happened when he was around the age, same age, age 10. And of course she drops the bomb. The father was playing with matches and accidentally start set the garage on fire and the house burns down and the father runs in because his mother's still in there and his brother's still in there. He gets his mother out, but he can't get his brother out. And the brother dies in the fire and the father never forgives himself. And be, you know, and of course, because he doesn't forgive himself, he's in now in a, an amygdala 
trauma response. You know, he's shut down, he's tight, he doesn't, you know, there's not a lot of blood flowing in his body. And because the trauma remains unhealed and unresolved, which is, for me, things we look for when we're doing this work, the man's son begins to express symptoms, burning sensations on his skin at the same age. The family doesn't make this connection to you and me. This is how we work. So it's an easy connection. But after the family bringing this to light, the boy's symptoms subside. Wow. So it's a simple story, but uh, profound in its implications. Yeah. And so one of the things that I heard there is that because the father, because he, what he experienced was so traumatic and I can't imagine what that would have been like. That, that's, that's horrible. But because that was so overwhelming for for him, because it was so, it was just too much, he just shut down and he numbed out and he didn't, he didn't uh, learn to work through that. Exactly. And that's what caused it to be passed on. I would, you know, I would say that that is accurate, that for me, what I see, you know, many of us have trauma in our family history. Mm -hmm. We do, but not everyone manifests inherited family trauma. What's the difference? Yeah. Tell me, what is the difference? Yeah. 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 Why do some people seem to relive and others don't? Um, You know, epigenetics is just one piece of the puzzle. Um, um, What, look, we know embryologists um, for a hundred years have been talking about um, the egg line when it stops dividing. So when our grandmom is, uh, let's say she's five months pregnant with our mother, the cell line, the egg line stops dividing. So the, all the eggs our mom's ever going to have are already in her body when she's five months of fetus. And one of those eggs is us. So you could say that uh, we are in our mother's body inside our grandmother's body. And the implications just thinking about that are, oh my God. So we would feel what grandma feels and mom would. So that's one thing to think about. And then when you add the work of Bruce Lipton, where a mother's emotions are chemically communicated to the fetus through the placenta, biochemically altering the genetic expression, grandma's feelings, her, her traumas, her thoughts, her fears are affecting mom and us. That's, that's one thing. But I think what we're asking here is, What seems to anchor these traumas? What creates these Mm. repetitions? And here's what I see, Jake. When the traumas aren't talked about, when the healing is incomplete, when the pain or the grief or the embarrassment or the shame or the rage or the frustration is too great and we tighten instead of open, or the people in our family system, they're excluded or rejected because of the terrible things they did or what happened to them or what they caused um, because there's not been any resolution. Then what we see is aspects of these traumas tend to show up in later generations. So unconsciously we'll repeat the pattern or we'll share a similar unhappiness um, with our parents and our grandparents until that trauma finally has a chance to heal. Wow. I think, I think, that is just so powerful. And this is the thing is traumas aren't spoken about. They're, they're, it's something that aren't, that isn't really spoken about in family systems a lot of the time. And shame is something that loves secrecy. 
And once you can actually bring some of this stuff to light, that's when you have the opportunity to heal. Even for yourself, like if you've been through something traumatic and stressful, the amount of times just by talking with people about it and for them just to get it off their chest, you see a change in them almost immediately. It's yeah. like they just, oh, I've never actually spoken to anyone about this. I've always felt so ashamed, embarrassed. I've always felt uh, so uh, angry at myself for this. And once people are able to share that, that's when things really start to change. So thank you so much for uh, pointing that out. Now, I want to go back a step. Now, you said earlier, and you said we're going to get to this, and so I'm going to, I'm going to hold you to your word, Mark. You said, why is it that our symptoms get worse as we get older? Yeah, 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 it's true. Um, you know, for this, I'm going to go back to Carl Jung. Mm -hmm. um, Jung wouldn't take a patient until that patient was 40 years old. He didn't work with people in their 20s and 30s because he felt that as young people, we're driven by hormonal drives, career drives, relationship drives, financial drives. In other words, our true self is masked by these drives that lift us into this false self until we have a dark night of the soul. Mm. So the dark night of the soul is now we're sick, we lose our job, we lose our partner, and all of a sudden um, we begin to get symptoms. In other words, um, as our hormones begin to recede we already have our kids, we already have our career set. What I seem to notice is we tend to get sick in mid to late life. We seem to get sick in our late 30s or 40s or 50s, which is often what I see um, when our hormones begin to recede, our career drives begin to lessen. We're more threadbare, threadbare. we're more real. And then all of a sudden, the um, we're more ripe for the, the expression of healing that's been hidden, masked by these drives to come forward. And right. And that's the same as, I guess, if you're constantly just, one of the things that we've seen a lot this year with the with lockdowns and things like that is a lot of people's old traumas are really starting to, to surface, partly because they, they um, they don't. They can't have, be distracted in the in the usual ways that they would have with their with their job or being out with friends or doing things. It's like they've been forced to sit in their homes. And it, do you think that's why a lot of people's uh, traumas and things like that have, have arisen this year, oh, in particular? Absolutely, the pandemic. Because what does it do? It makes us feel isolated. It makes mm. us feel alone. We're afraid our income stream will dry up. So it's. Um, setting fire in, if you said, in a sense, to the container that we all share. And, you know, our own traumas are uh, boiling to the surface now, and we're starting to, um, it's a triggering event is an easier way to say it. Yeah. That's allowing us to see what's been buried. What's, you know, our, particularly our early traumas uh, from breaks in the attachment with our mom, where we felt isolated, alone, not seen, not heard. The pandemic is certainly bringing that to the surface. And mm -hmm. in that way, I'm going to say the pandemic in that way has been um, benevolent. Other ways, of course, it's not been kind to any of us, but in that way, it allows us to look inside. Yeah. 
triggers are our greatest teachers and they show us what we need to heal. Symptoms are our greatest teachers. So what you just spoke about there is, so you, you've talked about how we can inherit family trauma, Mark, and how we can, if our grandparents, for example, were from a war-torn country, we might inherit their same fears and anxieties. Do you want to speak to a little bit about how uh, some of the, the, the traumas, the most common traumas that people experience, particularly in our own early, early lives? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was giving a, a little bit of a map earlier, but I think I, uh, I want to run through that map again because it's kind of important how these breaks in the bonds, how they, how they happen. So early events that cause any type of emotional or, or physical separation with our mom, um, these are the types of things that we need to be particularly aware of. Uh, on my website is a... Um, list of early trauma questions and later or, or and generational questions that I ask people to look at. Um, and the early trauma questions um, are going to cover this territory. What was going on with your parents during conception? Did your mom and dad, did they like each other or did they have to get married? Were they, did they want, were they ready to be pregnant? Um, did your mom feel trapped having to marry? Did your dad feel trapped having to marry? Um, was he drinking? Was anybody cheating? Was anybody breaking up? Um, did mom have any events during pregnancy? Did she begin to eject the child? Did she have to sleep with, have bed rest for the last few months? Was she afraid she'd lose the baby? Did she lose a baby prior? Uh, there's so many things yeah. to look at. Um, was the labor long? Was there an uh, events during the delivery? Was it a long labor? Were you born with forceps? Um, did her mom die? Did her dad die? Uh, did they have enough money to survive on? Um, were you in an incubator? Or did your parents take a vacation too early? There's so many questions yeah. that, that I always want people to answer these questions for their own well-being, Because when there's been a break in the bond, a break in the attachment with our mom, it's a challenge for us to feel safe and secure in life. When, when mom's connection is cut off um, physically, emotionally, we have tr difficulty trusting the feeling of who we are, who we are inside. That's because a child's inner experience is um, dependent on mom's attunement. So when we have a break in the bond with our mom, it's like having a break in the bond with our inner core. Hmm. Um, the psychoanalyst Heinz Kohat, he talks about how the gleam in the mother's eye is how the child develops in a healthy way, which is mm. true. Like the still and face experiment. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when we're cut off from our mom's presence because she's distracted, um, we're cut off from our core, our gut feelings. And, you know, when mom's depressed or not in sync with the baby, uh, the, the, the baby um, gets the message, where is she? What's wrong? Where is she gone? What have I done wrong? You know, something's wrong. If she's afraid, I'm afraid. If her attention is diverted because of stress or panic, um, the baby gets the message, where did she go? I mustn't matter. I'm not enough. I'm too much. Ultimately, something must be wrong with me. So mm. we can even get these messages that something's wrong with me um, or even develop an early strategy, Jake, 
of leaving our core to organize around our mother's feeling states. In other words, if I make mom feel okay, then she'll make me be okay. Mm -hmm. And so we can have this early pattern of repeating, repeatedly leaving our consciousness in a way, our body, our core, to, to attend to her mm -hmm. rather than be stay in her body and have her attend to us because we've no longer now trust receiving from her because she was distracted or disconnected. So we don't trust receiving from her. Now we become a giver giving to her, but it's a break in the attachment because we're not receiving from her. This is how babies develop, Jake. As yeah. we know, as, as you, you know from hanging around me, you know that it's that sort of, um, the baby develops through the mother's gaze, the mother's attunement, the mother's mirroring, the mother's bonding. Um, but when she's gone, um, we feel alone and we yearn for that security that's missing. Basically the dopamine that's missing um, in the brain's reward motivation circuitry. Now we're searching for it outside of ourselves. Uh, for what's missing in alcohol, drugs, sex, TV, cell phones, social media, Netflix, binge, you know, binge watching, whatever. So one of the things that I said that you said there is that talking about how when we have that uh, that broken bond at an early age, we develop strategies to essentially get our needs met. So things like uh, not having any boundaries, always giving to other people. If that was a pattern that you used early on, this is typically going to be a pattern that we see later in life, I guess, as well, in terms of needing oh, yeah. to, you'll see, you'll see children like, go, Hey, oh, and like, they'll be really animated and, and happy trying to get their, get attention from their mother, or they might be attuning to their needs. You might become quite em empathic and, and learning how to pick up on the needs of other people and attuning your own needs wanna, to them. I want to, I want to jump in here. Imagine that child empathic to his mother's needs or her mother's needs. Imagine the energy, the, that, that pattern of giving to her to feel okay. It sets up a pattern of overextension, which later can look like chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm -hmm. So we become this giver, this, you know, this people pleaser. We, we do rather than be. We Put, we go out there rather than stay in here and receive. It's exhausting. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to uh, being a people pleaser, being an overdoer, always needing to feel as though you need to be achieving or be successful to feel safe and feel okay. And this is where a lot of this stuff stems from, Mark. So this is so enlightening uh, for me, for our listeners. This has been Fantastic. And we're going to link up all of those uh, questions that you that you have on your website. We'll link them up in the show notes so that um, you guys can go and check that out and have a listen there and, or sorry, have a read and, and go through some of those questions that Mark, Mark asks. So Mark, how can we finish this one? And, and what I want to say is that how do we actually start to break this cycle? So if you've inherited some family trauma, and we've talked a little bit about this in terms of creating that positive experience and rewiring our brain and starting yeah, to get yeah, into that yeah. place of well-being, but can mm. you share some quick tips on how you can how we can start to break this uh, inherited family yeah. trauma or how we can start yeah. to also, yeah, how we can break the inherited family trauma and how we can also yeah. start to feel safe again? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think it, it, the first thing I would tell the listener is, you know, if we're struggling with an unexplained symptom, 
or our child is struggling in some way. First thing I want to say is children express what's unresolved behind between the parents, what's unresolved behind the parents, but children also mirror to the parents what the parent felt at their age, mm. but the parent, but we've suppressed it. In other words, we're the kid tugging at our mother's, clinging to our mother, saying, mommy, 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 this is what you felt when you were little, but you don't feel, but you didn't let yourself feel it. So number one, look at your child's symptoms as a way of showing you your own symptoms. That's wow. the first thing I'd like to say. The second thing is if your kids are struggling or, or with unexplained symptoms or depression or anxiety or OCD or a phobia or some destructive behavior, or we are, ask these questions, you know, shake the family tree, see what mm. falls out, you know, really, uh, what family secrets have been hidden? Um, what stories didn't get told? You know, people aren't talking about it or what traumas never healed all the way. Ask questions. Yeah. Uh, ask your cousins, ask your aunt, ask your uncle, you know, just ask. This could get see. uncomfortable. Absolutely. But, but you'll learn things that were kept sealed that are affecting you. And then I want to say, um, talk to your talk about the traumas in your family and try to work through them yourself, you know, work through them. Jake and I were talking earlier about um, being curious about symptoms. Curious. Curious is an, uh, a brain state of the prefrontal cortex. Curiosity is your friend. And ultimately the symptom is your friend. Be curious. Um, so they're not passed down into future generations because the more we know about these traumas, um, the more we can bring relief to our kids. And then the more um, our kids who are struggling without a clue as to why can say, oh, thank you. Thank you. Now I have a coat to hang. Now I have a hook to hang my coat of trauma on. You know, it's it, it's basically when we, ignore the past, it comes back to haunt us. But when we explore it, we, we don't have to repeat it. We can break these destructive patterns. And then as we talked about earlier, have, have positive experiences that calm the brain stress response. And then let these positive experiences that have meaning for you, mm -hmm. let them be meaningful. Don't do them because Jake and I are saying doing them, do them, do them because it feels right in your body. Make them a daily practice, these positive experiences, these new sensations. Um, yeah, change your brain. Yeah, and I guess the, one of the beautiful things to end on there is change your brain is you, just because you have a whole heap of symptoms, just because your brain is stuck in fight or flight or freeze or fawn mode, doesn't mean that you're destined to live that way. And what Mark is sharing and, and all of his amazing work and his research is showing you that you can change your brain. You can heal these inherited family traumas and you can heal yourself both physically and emotionally and spiritually all from right. the inside, which is beautiful. Absolutely. In fact, to just carry that thought with even one more sentence, the traumas again are our friend yeah. designed to help us heal this pattern. So as they arise, look with curiosity and run with it. Beautiful. 
Thank you so much, Mark. And that is just such a beautiful point to leave on is that people that are in that symptom spiral, chasing the answers to their symptoms and their, their, their problems in life and their stress and all this kind of stuff, trying to fix it, fix it, fix it. Creating so much more stress isn't helping. Be curious. Look at that. And what is that trying? What is this symptom? What is this trauma? What is this stress, anxiety, depression trying to show you? So, Mark, thank you so, so much uh, for joining us. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be an absolutely amazing episode for our listeners. It's been great to talk to you. Now, Mark, just tell us uh, how can we, how can our listeners find you? Uh, how can they learn more about what you do? Okay. Um, my website, markwoolin.com. M-A-R-K-W-O-L-Y-N-N.com is a good resource. Uh, you know, I talk about the book. Uh, I talk about the training. Um, care, we, we do private sessions. So anything you need is there. If you want to know the latest studies on epigenetics, go to my Facebook, fa- Facebook page, Facebook slash Mark Willen, and, you know, read about all the new developments in the past year or two. Um, some cool things, particularly you, you guys in Australia, you know, there's a brand new study out of there that shows that um, people who um, um, uh, had been traumatized found that when they recovered from PTSD, um, they had positive responses in their body, such as resilience and post-traumatic growth, which is a whole new field. Mm. It, yeah. Awesome. That's Studies fantastic. Right there, right there on Facebook. Awesome. So we'll link all of those up for you guys uh, in the show notes below. But also, if you haven't checked out the book, it didn't start. You didn't say your bookmark. <laughs> ah, okay. Thank this, you. This um, is a great know, please, resource. Please read my book because what I do in this book is I teach you how to become a detective yeah. of your trauma language. Um, and it's it, important. It's, you know, if you don't have that natural curiosity because the symptoms are so fearful in the book, um, you learn to get really into it. You become a detective of your trauma language. We didn't get a chance to talk about it, but it's all there in the book. Um, yeah. The things that you say that guide you um, to look back. And then I teach you how to link it to the events in your family history, teach you how to do your genogram, your traumagram. And then I give um, many, many examples for how to um, calm the brain with practices and experiences. Yeah, we didn't even get into trauma language, but essentially what that is, is is we all have unique words and phrases and, and things that we will uh, speak about, right? And and they can point to uh, point to some of the, the inherited family traumas. That we've oh, directly. Yeah. Direct, directly, yeah. Yeah, so that is all in the book. It didn't start with you. Um, we'll link that up there for everyone as well. Mark, thank you thank again you. so much. This has been such an amazing interview and thank oh. you for sharing your time with our listeners. Oh, you're so welcome, Jake. I I absolutely enjoyed it and any chance we get to talk is always great (laughs) awesome mate take care have a nice afternoon all right take be be well so there you have it there is the interview with mark woolen the author of it didn't start with you so i'm sure you've got some amazing takeaways uh, from that podcast episode as it was filled and jam-packed with gold nuggets so i'd love to hear what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode so uh, make an instagram story and tag myself and mark woolen in your story and let us know what your biggest insight was and i'll be more than happy to be reposting those stories now in the show notes below i'm going to be linking up all of mark's work uh he's website his facebook page where you can find all of his latest research and most importantly his book it didn't start with you so uh, this book was really pivotal as i said in the intro into my own healing journey 
And so much so that I've started training with Mark and it's actually become a really key component in the work that we do with our clients inside the Mind Body Masters program. So I'd highly recommend picking up that book. Um, it's not only a really uh, useful guide and teaching you some of the science and, and helping you to understand inherited family trauma, but it actually guides you through the process, helping you to identify where yours occurs and how you can start to, he- start to heal it. So um, if this episode has helped you in any way, shape or form, please share it with someone who you know will resonate with this message because I know it'll help them too. So thank you so much for listening to this episode in full and I'll catch you again on the next episode. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode in full. And now I have a free gift for you. Now, if you'd like to understand more about how stress impacts not only your mind, but your body, well, you're in luck because right now we have a free mini course titled Mastering Your Mind, which is going to teach you all about how stress impacts your body and how you can start reversing the effects and start living not only a pain-free, healthy life, but also start feeling more calm, more present and joyful. So if you want to get instant access to this, plus a free guided meditation, head on over to the website, mindbodymasters.com forward slash mastering dash your dash mind to get instant access to this one-of-a-kind program. Now, if you're anything like me, you're sick of seeing people suffer needlessly. And it's my mission in life to help people realize that they have the ability to heal themselves from the inside out by doing this inner work. So if you want to join me on this mission, there's two things that you can do to help out. The first thing is head on over to iTunes and give this show a five-star review. By doing so, it helps us reach more people. And secondly, share this episode with someone that you know will resonate with this message. By you sharing this podcast with them, it might be the very thing that starts them on their healing journey. So thank you so much for listening to the show and I'll see you again on the next episode.